So, um, we're continuing to make our way through James, and um, it's quite the book. And we're going to be broke up here a little bit for the next few weeks. Um, and uh, Dwight's, I think, going to be back shortly. And then uh, this Saturday, there's a funeral for um, Rita Meyer. And then Sunday, we'll have Dwight back in the pulpit, praise the Lord. And then um, we'll be picking up here, then following that here for a couple of weeks in James. Um, we made it to chapter 3. And, um, boy, I guess, you know, I don't feel like saying much because we're going to be talking about the tongue. And, you know, the more you say, the more you're likely to get in trouble. And uh, I'm just uh, grateful for the Lord's grace and mercy in my life for sure and for all of us that uh, have such a hard time bridling this tongue. So, James 3, I'm going to read through 1 through 18, and I'm sorry, Yeah, let's read through the whole thing, and then we'll come back and talk about it a little bit. Um, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we should receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, well, he's a perfect man, also able to bridle the whole body. And indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they were so large and are driven by fierce winds, they're turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. And even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. And see how great a forest is a little fire kindles. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. And it sets on fire the course of nature and itself is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the image or in the similitude of God. And out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing, My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or grapes, bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. And then who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, Do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. And for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen. You know, it seems like James is switching gears, switching to a new subject here, but not really. Back in chapter 1, verse 19, he's already cautioned them to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. And in that, in light of the goodness of God, and in verse 26, chapter 1, there were those among them that thought they were religious but couldn't bridle their tongues. 
And in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, some were becoming judges with evil motives, you know, and they were having a favoritism and a partiality against the, the, the poor. And James reminds them then of the liberty that they have in God's mercy. And he says, and speak and act as those who would be judged by the law of liberty. And we looked into that. And then in verse 14, they say they have faith or believe, uh, believed in God, but had no life to back it up. And so after establishing that faith without works is dead, he picks, picks up back here in uh, chapter 3, talking about the tongue. And um, when we get just to verse 1, we'll spend a little time right there in the first half of that. It says, My brethren, let m- not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. And so starting off with the subject of teachers, um, you know, these guys that he's writing to, they have all these issues with their tongue. You know, I think some of them were starting to think themselves, you know, to be teachers. Um, they were happy to waver at the wisdom God gave them, remember, in chapter 1. And then they were even saying that he was the one that was tempting them when they couldn't control themselves, blaming him. They were happy to say that they had faith, but they still had partiality against the poor. And thus they were becoming judges, right? So these guys might have even been thinking about, you know, hey, you know, we can't uh, keep our conversation going here. We might as well be, become teachers, and then somebody will have to listen to us. I don't know. But either way, James is trying to express to them the seriousness about what we say and what we're talking about. More importantly, we'll find out it's what's in our hearts. Um, and so a teacher receives a stricter judgment. The word stricter there is uh, megas, basically mega is what we're thinking of, right? And it's true, greater, numerous, large, more intense, with greater scrutiny. That's the stricterness that a teacher, uh, you know, the stricterness, that's a good one, that's a new one. Um, And the word judgment, crema, a decree, a condemnation of wrong, judicially decided is what that word means. So this greater scrutiny, this judicial uh, condemnation of wrong is what he's talking about for people who want to become teachers. And, um, you know, people are from all different circumstances. They're from all different walks of life, and they're all, all different walks with the Lord at any given time. Brand new believers just starting to get into the Word of God. You know, people have been walking with the Lord a long time. Uh, only God knows where they're at and he loves them and is being patient with them and with us and one of the first things I was ever told by my pastor was no pointed sermons you know what that means if you're going to just teach through the word well the Holy Spirit's going to minister to the people's hearts every individual that the Lord's working on how he sees fit but anything else really is an attempt to steer a congregation, really, when you start to point something towards a particular subject or problem that's going on. And, um, you know, really, if something needs to be addressed to all, well, then make it plain, but don't make it part of a Bible study or disguise it as a Bible study and try and do a little left-handed thing there. And so you've got to wonder, is, the, is there instructions for teachers in the Scriptures? And for that, we go to First Timothy and chapter 1. In verses 3 and 4, first of all. Now, Timothy, we can read earlier, in this, is Paul's 
son, he counts him son in the faith. And Timothy was being raised up and called. We can see that from 2 Timothy. But uh, he says in verse 3, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is faith. And what I want to get at here is what is going to be the stricter judgment that a teacher is going to be scrutinized about. And so when we look at this, you know, first of all, Timothy was given a charge from Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ with the authority to do so. And Timothy had a calling to preach the word. And Paul reminded him of that in Second Timothy. But, where, but here Paul urges Timothy, and what is so urgent? What is the, what's the big deal? What's the thing that he's calling him to be uh, careful with? Well, it's doctrine, right? And doctrine is not what you choose to believe. Doctrine is what God gave us to believe, gave us to trust, and gave us to hold on to. Doctrine is not something you make up or you try and get your head around. Doctrine is simply what the Lord teaches. You know, and um, It was concerning those who were teaching another doctrine. He's talking about here these guys. There were other doctrines mixing with truth with fables and genealogies, he says. And anytime you add man's wisdom to God's truth, well, you're going to have disputes. And it and does not promote godly edification that he's talking about here to build up our faith. And it's easy to fall into because there's a lot, really, that we don't necessarily understand in our finite wisdom, our finite knowledge of uh, God and his word. Certainly he gives it all to us, and certainly he says a child can learn. And to be as a child, to learn and to simply trust our Father. But often we think it necessary to put our human wisdom or maybe a consensus of a bunch of believers together and on the subject or another in the scriptures that they don't necessarily understand, so they come up with their final guess, if you will. Well, that's where denominations come from. you got these guys over here that believe this about that, and you got these guys over here that disagree, and they agree to disagree. Well, how edifying is that to the hearer, to the person who sees all this? And certainly the Lord has kept through centuries uh, his his uh, word alive through these different things. So it's really his his doing that he's kept his word alive, despite man's failure to to agree on all these things. Or you know, why why wouldn't you just say I don't know? Sometimes you just have to be willing to say I don't know, rather than try and come up with man's wisdom to fit on to that particular doctrine or subject. And you know, definitely search out out everything. Don't give up search everything out and let Scripture interpret Scripture. And if you have to, at the end, go to a commentary. And certainly when you're a new believer, it says, desire the sincere milk of the Word. You know, there are pastors and teachers that are given so that the Word can be explained and you can make sense of it. Um, And that's certainly there. But, uh, you know, the Lord actually says that uh, you have need that no man teach you. That if you get into the Word, the Holy Spirit will teach you. Now, certainly we need to get together and, and uh, assemble together as we're commanded to do in the last days. But, and that's what we do. And so he promised to give us all wisdom and understanding, didn't he? And But to what end in these verses? You know, the very next verse, verse 5. To what end? Love. And so uh, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and a sincere faith. A pure heart 
and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That is really what we need in order for his word to minister to us and in order for us to come out with the love in the end rather than disputing over doctrines, trying to figure out genealogies and taking heed to fables to try and see if we can make that fit into something we don't understand. And verse 6 and 7 kind of fits with James. It says, From which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. And this fits with James. You know, the, uh, the 12 tribes knew about keeping the letter of the law. Remember, he wrote this letter to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Jesus would call it the traditions of men. And, um, you know, what does he say? It turns into idle talk and gets nowhere, has nothing to do with no power, has nothing to do with edifying and building up one another. It says that they had no understanding of what they were talking about or what they were trying to affirm. And then in verse 8 through 11, Paul says to Timothy, but we know that the law is good if it's used lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for the righteous person, but the lawless and the insubordinate and the ungodly and for sinners and for the unholy and the profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, manslayers and fornicators and sodomites, for kidnappers and liars, for perjurers. And if there's any other thing that is contrary to doctrine, that's a pretty good list if you can think of more. According to the glorious gospel and the blessed, of the blessed God which was committed to my trust, And so Paul confirms to Timothy that the law is what brings us to our need for a Savior. And so these guys want to teach the law, and that really does sound like James, doesn't it? They're trying to to, uh, put that together and and bring some people under the law. But that isn't the, the way it should be, and we talked about that on Sunday. You know, first comes the law to convict of our sins, and that's what he says here. It's for them. It's for the ones who are sinners and still walking in that. But then comes grace and mercy and the law of the the royal law now is what we keep, which is love, which keeps all the rest of it. And as such, the the liberty that comes with it and the liberty we have because the mercy that we've had. Um, Paul goes on in Timothy to say it's a faithful saying that Christ Jesus came to save sinners and desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In verse 18, he charges Timothy to wage this good warfare, for it is a war for truth and sinners. Eternity is at stake. Some will reject. He instructs regarding conduct in the church and the qualification for elders and deacons and instructs about men and women and marriages and widows and honor in the workplace. And He talks about greed, and he also continues to warn about apostasy. But in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 13 through 16, just the next page over. And again, we're talking in context of this stricter judgment that a teacher is going to have. Um, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. But here's the thing. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the elders. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. And notice this. Take heed to yourself 
and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So there's a serious matter here that we're dealing with in 2 Timothy 4, right there on the next page. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Paul says, For I am already poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to also, also to all who loved his appearing. Paul was very fully aware of this stricter judgment for teachers, and he lived like it, and he was looking forward to seeing the Lord. Hebrews 13, you can look at sometime if you'd like, reading through it, three times it talks about those who rule over you in, in the context of teaching and leadership in the church. But in 17, it says how to behave with these guys because they have to give a greater account. They're going to give an account for what was said. Lord, have mercy on the guys that figure they can just, you know, throw out a little segue into some little thing that happened to their kid last, last week and then throw a verse at it and hope that that feeds the hearts and souls of a, of a church. And there's no great thing about uh, any particular man or any way they particularly do it. What's important is what the Word says to us, and that's what we can take with us. We all have feet of clay. Every one of us is a sinner in need of a Savior. There's no uh, respect of persons for the, for the person's sake. But for sure, if a person's going to get up and start teaching the Word, there's a stricter judgment. And um, hopefully we're aware of that. Um, James 3, back to James and we'll pick it up now in verse 2. And notice James says, For you all stumble. Does he? <laughs> no, he says we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, also able to bridle the whole body. Now, we've talked about a couple words many times here that in the Greek, I mean, we know wisdom means anybody? Sophie. And uh, we know that... Uh, We've talked about judgment and some of that, but now we're talking about the word perfect. Who remembers what the word perfect means? Blameless, without fault? No, it's, it's mature, complete. You know, it's, it's not somebody you can, you know, basically look at and he's gleaming with absolute perfection and there's nothing left to work in this guy's life. Not at all. He's talking about if a guy can hang on to his tongue, well, he's probably doing pretty well in maturity. And now, but we all stumble, right, at the very beginning. You know, what he's saying is, you know, you're mature and you're complete. And also he's saying it's easier to bridle your tongue 
Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, let me back up. It's easier to bridle just about any other part of your body than it is to hold your tongue. And uh, that's, I think, the point he's making here. We all stumble in many ways. But notice the, the and these are examples or allegories, uh, not allegories, examples or um, similar um, examples. So, uh, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouth, and they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large, they're driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member. If you uh, have a little piece of paper you want to uh, make a list, it's not pretty. But even so, the tongue, what is it? It's a little member, but it boasts great things. And see how great a forest a little fire kindles. You know, don't you ever get to that point where you said something and you'd give just about anything, your right arm, to take it back? And it started all kinds of trouble. And you're sitting there trying to cover your tracks. Anybody who knows me who knows that I've been chasing people down saying, I'm so sorry I said that. I didn't mean to say that. And uh, it just is one of those things where you stumble into that oftentimes. But how great a fire. Just like that, people are talking, and just like that, it goes this way and that way, and they misunderstand. And like the old thing where they, you have uh, 10 people in a circle, and you tell them a secret, and by the time it gets to the other end, it's a different color and a different thing, and it's all, you know, uh, it, it never stays the same, and it usually is always a little tastier when somebody exaggerates a little bit on it. So by the time you started this little fire, or kindled this little spark, it's blown into a forest fire. And that's so true. You all know it's true. And... Um, Tongue is a fire. Now notice, it's a world of iniquity. Um, That word, iniquity, is injustice, as from a judge. In other words, a bad judge. Unrighteousness of heart and life. Violation of law and justice. And the actions of the unrighteous. A world of iniquity. A world that does this. Uh you know, just brings out lies and, and passes judgment that is wrong. And that's the kind of iniquity that tongue is. Um, a fire that burns things down with just a little bit of kindling is on our list. And then where is it from? The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. Now, you know where that is, right? It's behind its own cage, you know? And yet, somehow it gets out. You know, you can't talk through your teeth. But people would if they had to. <laughs> and uh, it's even, even so, the tongue is a little member. But here it is, it defiles the whole body. And it sets on, for, on fire the course of nature and is set itself on fire by hell. You know, a fire that burns things, burns things down just destroys things with a little bit. And notice it says it is untamed by any man. So going back to verse 2, for we all, we all stumble. It's not been tamed ever by any man. It sounds kind of hopeless right now. I'm, I'm kind of hoping that you understand how hopeless and helpless we are in and of ourselves to tame our tongues. I know I am. And, uh, you know, out of our mouths come blessings and cursings, uh, Every kind of burst, uh, every kind of beast and bird of the and reptile and creature of the sea is tamed, has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, 
full of deadly poison. And we all know what that poison is, right? Gossip, lies, tail-bearing. That's poison. What does it do to the people who hear you? And then what do they go do to the people that hear them? And what if it's, you know, gets into families and starts causing division and separating, you know, families? What if, what if it comes into the church and starts causing separation and division in the church? It's just an unruly poison, uh, full, it says, of deadly poison. No man can tame it. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. You know, how is it we turn so quickly from one to the other, blessing one minute and cursing the next. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. Simply wisdom tells you these things ought not to be so, right? Does a spring bring forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or grapevine bear bear figs? And this is what he's getting at here. And we're going to do a little uh, side step here. Um... You know, again, uh, spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. It can't be. Let's turn to Matthew 12, because I'm kind of hoping at this point you're feeling kind of helpless about how you're going to fix your tongue and, and work that out so that I can give you some hope and that the Lord can give us some hope. Matthew 12, 33 through 37. So what really is the problem? doesn't make sense that we can so easily flip from cursing back to blessing and back to cursing. So Jesus, after um, talking to some of these uh, scribes and Pharisees, you know, he, he's, uh, they, they had been uh, trying to sort out how a house could not be divided. You know, every kingdom is divided against itself and brought to desolation every city that's divided so he's talking about these guys, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and all, and they were saying that he cast out demons by Beelzebub. And uh, he goes on to describe how, you know, you can blaspheme just about anything, but if you're going to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you know, that's the one sin that's not forgiven. What does that mean? Well, he goes on to say if you're going to speak you know, these things and take away from who the Holy Spirit is. Um, you know, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. The Holy Spirit is who lives inside of us that, that he sent. And a few weeks ago we did a study on, on the gifts and, and, the, uh, and the, the things that the Holy Spirit does in us and, and all. But the bottom line is, Let's go to verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Well, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Well, what's the hope for you guys in that, and for me, I should say? Is he's pointing out where the problem starts. The problem's not up here. 
problem's down in our heart. It's not in our heads. Um, the problem has to do with what's been going on in our heart, what we're allowing to take root in our heart, what, what strongholds are going to be uh, growing in our heart. You know, you can tell yourself not to open your mouth, but unless you change your heart, it's going to come out eventually. Now, we cannot judge anybody's heart. I cannot look at a soul and judge their heart. But, you know, by what they say, what Jesus just says right here, you know, our heart makes known whether our heart is good or evil. And Jesus says the same. You can tell where your heart is with God by how you talk about the brethren. You know, I can't judge you, but if I'm hearing you sitting there talking about the brethren, well, he says, that's where your heart is. And if you can tell a tree by its fruit, what kind of fruit is in a person by their words? You know, you can tell the fruit that's coming out. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. You can tell a person's heart by the bitterness or the sweetness of their words. And um, not talking about flattery, but I'm talking about having a change of heart. And uh, for that, we go to John 7, 37 through 39. Because I need help. I think we all need help. Taming the tongue. And it starts in the heart. John seven thirty seven. He says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You're going to be giving life by your words and by what's in your heart. There's only one way to have a heart full of fruit and sweet water and living water that edifies the brethren. We need to come to Jesus. We need to drink of his word. We need to ask him for a heart that only he can give us. Our, our hearts are deceitfully wicked. He's going to be the one to start putting things in our hearts. And then not to be just hearers of the word, but doers. You know, it's good. Bible study is what builds our faith, you know. But doing is what our faith is. And uh, we have his Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So what's hindering it? Well, where does James go with all this? If you go back to James, if you think maybe back in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, they're forgetting mercy. And they're showing, you know, the mercy that was shown him, they're unable to show mercy to others, you know, so speak and do as those who will be judged by that law of liberty, right? The liberty that they have because God has shown mercy to them. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment. And so James 4, where we pick up in verse 13 through 16, and I think that's supposed to be James 3 in my notes, so, again, we need wisdom. We need a change of heart. We need to get into his word and ask him so that he can start working in our hearts and out of our hearts then comes this living water rather than the bitterness with our words and the poison with our words. So be wise. Who is a wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that is, works are done in the meekness of wisdom, getting back to having works to go along with our faith. But notice it's in the meekness of wisdom. 
You know, if you have bitter envy, selfish seeking in your hearts, well, don't boast and lie against the truth. We all do. But this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. And it says, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and everything, evil thing, are there. Our speech and our lives need to line up with this meekness of wisdom. Now, there's only two kinds of wisdom, and they're right here for us. We have earthly wisdom. It's bitter envy, self-seeking. Where? In your hearts, in our hearts, in my heart. It's earthly. It's sensual and demonic, this earthly wisdom. The result? Confusion and every evil. If we wanted to turn here to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, there is a wisdom of the world. And God in his wisdom dealt with it the way he saw fit and for a good reason. Chapter 1, 18 through 25. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of, his, of this world? For since the wisdom of God, the world no, through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. The Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those, you and me, who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You know, um, no flesh should ever glory in his presence. Um, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. They don't know God. They're looking for signs. They stumble at the preaching of Christ. And uh, it's foolishness to them. That's the wisdom of the world. And, you know, the world is at enmity. We'll study in chapter 4 when we get back here to James. But the world's an enemy of the Lord. It says right there. And, and when we become friends of the world, well, then we become his enemies too. In uh, the second part of this, verses 26 through 31, there's a reason for all this. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many are wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put shame on the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put shame on the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing those things that are are. And why? Well, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. No flesh should boast in his presence. You know, we can't boast of anything of ourselves. We're foolish to do so. And we probably shouldn't be looking to other people to see what's in them if it's any good either. 
because what are you going to do? Tell them good job. You know, there's nothing in any of us that's that's uh, um, done that he hasn't done in us that he would want uh, get the glory for. And so, getting back to James and and uh, verses. 17 and 18, that wisdom, now, that's from above. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, wisdom from above, that wisdom from above means it's higher than us. It's out of our reach, you know, except for the Lord. It's from God, but it's this wisdom that's first, the very first of all things. You know, there's a number of Proverbs. I didn't want to start tying into them for lack of time, but there's, you know, if you want to, uh, just beginning the very first chapter of of Proverbs, you know, wisdom to be sought after more than anything else, he says. And all, and certainly the the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, and uh, that would be where we would start asking Him, knowing He's holy, knowing He's God Almighty. But that word pure, it means true, it means certain, it means sure, it means indeed sure. And so this pure is not when you think about clear water. This pure has to do with something that is is sure and is true and is trusty. And, and certain as you can get. And then it's peaceable. Well, that word peaceable doesn't mean necessarily that it's all calm and everything for sure, but it means that there's a, it says pacific or it pacifies, but in a true way, you know, not something that, uh, in other words, it satisfies. It brings a loving peace is that word. And it's a salutary. Um, the word Gentile, Gentile, the word gentle, I wrote Gentile in my notes. The word gentle means seemly, suitable, equitable, fair, and mild. In other words, it fits. It just is right there where it's supposed to be, like a hand in a glove. It's gentle, willing to yield. In other words, easily obeying and compliant with what it is that is uh, that wisdom And it says, full of mercy. This wisdom from above is full of mercy. Kindness and goodwill towards the miserable and afflicted is what that word means. But not only that, it's joined with a desire to help them. So it has to do with helping with the the works that James has been talking about. This full of mercy is shown by how it acts. Good fruits, well, we're known by our fruit. Jesus talked about that, not of our heart. Without partiality, in other words, these guys were judges with evil motives. Without hypocrisy, well, that's not flattery. Don't be, you know, hypocrisy is, is more than just somebody who's faking something. It's somebody who wants to make sure everybody is feeling real good about themselves so they can continue to get away with their fakery. You know, the book of James is about faith and a life that shows it. It endures trials. It has fruit of mercy towards the lowly brother in need. A heart that is putting away bitter envy and jealousy and looks for wisdom from above. And in verse 18, this kind of righteousness that he's talking about here, what he's trying to draw these guys to, away from all these things of the world, this kind of righteousness, when it's sown in peace, it makes peace with God. 
We have peace with God at the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of peace. He's the prince of peace. Does that mean we have peace with the world? Well, no. Jesus, Matthew 10 says, he came not into this world to bring peace. And does this mean that we got the kind of peace that the world has? Well, no. He says, not as the world has, give I unto thee. And um, again, you'll never have the peace of God without making peace with God through the cross of Jesus Christ. Any of this faith and righteousness uh, comes out of our peace with God. And so he says, sow this kind of peace. Sow it with the brethren. Don't let the poison come out. Don't let the gossip come out. Tail-bearing. You don't need to exaggerate. You know, exaggeration really is a lie. If I exaggerated on the amount of money I was charging you to fix your your house, you know, you wouldn't like that exaggeration. You know, it's, you know, anything more than what the price is, it's it's there. You know, um, so, you know, sow that kind of peace among the brethren and especially by what you say and the things you talk about. And that is all I have. James chapter 3, behold the tongue. Um, you know, there will be a stricter judgment. But we all stumble in many ways. But he wants to change our hearts. All you got to do is ask him. So why don't we pray? And we do ask you, Lord. We, we again, so desperately need you. And we're so grateful that you saved us. We're so grateful you've sealed, sealed us with your Holy Spirit. And we're so grateful and looking forward to coming. And Lord, we may have rough days ahead. And Lord, we just ask that you'd give us uh, endurance through it, whatever these trials may be. Uh, We pray that you'd keep our eyes on your kingdom to come. And more than anything, Lord, we pray that through your peace, the righteousness that you want to work in us to do the things that we're supposed to do. Lord, just to hold our tongues and, and just work in our hearts so that our tongues just can't go there because our hearts have been changed. So nothing can come out except sweetness. And that kind of sweetness among the brethren. And Lord, again, we fall so short, but we ask that you be continuing to cause us to grow to maturity. And when men never get there and be perfect, but Lord, we certainly want to be mature. and We want to be you know, pressing on towards that always, growing towards that. We know you want to do mighty things in us, and so we just ask that you'd be free to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.